This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Virginia only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 532 3500. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. You're listening to Sports Better's Paradise on the Bet Rivers Network. All right, our final college football preview and uh, conference preview, but these are the ones that are not involved in conferences. These are the independents, along with Bruce Marshall and Paul Stone, and who better to, to start with than the team that just gets all the offers left and right but refuses, just uh, continues to stay independent and thrives. Not only that, but they get – they get things on their own, uh, on their own state, you know, on their own basis. I mean, Notre Dame, the privileged character of college football, still now that every game is on uh, national TV, but Notre Dame still calls their own shots. In my opinion, though, the top upgrade at quarterback uh, due to uh, you know Sam Hartman coming over from uh, Wake Forest. Guys, what I'm interested in is to see how much is it Hartman. And how much is it getting the most, uh, you know, Hartman and getting the most out of limited supporting cast at Wake Forest, which is not exactly a recruiting juggernaut uh, and resource kind of thin? Or how much is that uh, did he benefit from one of the more creative offensive systems in that mesh protection uh, in college football? Notre Dame's uh, win total is at eight and a half over minus 125, slightly uh, shaded to the over. Three top ten opponents. They host two of them at home, Ohio State, USC. They go to Clemson. But, Bruce, I'll start with you and um, just your overall thoughts about Hartman and Notre Dame. Yeah, this is interesting because I, I think they've got an upgrade there. Now, those quarterbacks who were there last year uh, for Marcus Freeman in his first year have moved on. Uh, Pine at Arizona State and Buckner at Alabama, as we've talked about before. Uh, but Hartman, I, I thought – Last year, going into the year, I put him as like a Heisman long shot. Now, he missed right the start of last season. He had an illness and was out. Then he came in the second game. He put up big numbers. He's posted some really big numbers for the last couple of years. The biggest difference this year for Notre Dame, I think offensively, uh, from last year is the fact Hartman is going to get the ball downfield a lot more than, than, than Pine did last year or Buckner. I mean, it was a lot of short stuff last year. Michael Meyer was a really good tight end, and they used him a lot last year. So it was dink, 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 a lot of short stuff. They didn't throw downfield too much, and Hartman gives them the ability to do that. I, like you, though, Jimmy, a little concerned about the adjustment from the slow mesh, um, which he mastered, and he had learned over several years at Wake Forest in a very unique offense, the way that runs. This is a, this is a different offense. This is not slow mesh. In fact, there were some people who thought – Maybe Marcus Freeman should have been a little bit more active looking for a new offensive coordinator. Tommy Reese, as we know, went down to Alabama, um, and they promoted from within to G. Red Parker. A lot of people thought, you know, come on, let's go outside a little bit. Parker does have, in the past, had been at West Virginia, so he's got some, he's got some roots and some more uh, upscale offensive, uh, progressive offensive thoughts. But still a lot of people uh, thought that. But for me, too, the jury's still out a little bit on Marcus Freeman um, because there were a couple of games in his debut season. You look back, kind of puzzling, uh, sort of puzzling, losing to Marshall at home. When you think about it. Marshall came into South Bend and won. Marshall wasn't bad, won its bowl game last year. Still, that was an upset. But the Stanford game, I don't know that there's any explanation for losing a game at home to Stanford last year. It's the last game Stanford won. I don't know if there's any explanation for that. But... I think things are kind of on the right track. They did play Ohio State very tough uh, in the opener. Um, they still got some weapons back, a steam, good running back, almost 900 yards last year. Now, Logan Diggs did move back down to LSU, so they had a pretty good one-two combination, uh, uh, and Diggs is now at LSU. Uh, Caleb Smith comes over from Virginia Tech. He was their leading receiver last year uh, for the Hokies with 37 catches. So, um I, I think the offense will be better, a little bit more downfield stuff. Uh, 
the defensive line, they lose their sack leader. Isaiah Foskey is now at the Saints, the second-round pick. Uh, I didn't like their red zone defense. They had some really bad numbers in the red zone last year on defense, ranked 130th. You would have think Freeman with his defensive roots, that wouldn't have happened. Nonetheless, even with that schedule, as you mentioned, they get a couple of those games at home, including Ohio State and USC. USC, I think they, they can beat at home this year. They did beat Clemson pretty good last year uh, when they got them in South Bend. So I I think they can sneak over eight and a half. I think this this is probably a team that's going to end nine and three, uh, maybe ten and two. So I'm looking a little bit over there with the Irish. Real quick, Bruce. Also, you have an opinion on Hartman at twenty five to one to win the Heisman, worth a shot. Uh, Notre Dame, you <laughs> you do something uh, significant, you'll get noticed. But before we move on to Paul and his take on Notre Dame, I mean Hartman has to be live at twenty five to one. Very live. I mean, you, you hit a nail on the head, Jimmy. I mean, a, a Notre Dame quarterback is going to get noticed. And you said every game is on the national TV on one network or another. Um, and the fact he comes in with really good credentials. I don't think Notre Dame has won one of these since Tim Brown. So they're overdue. But you know the exposure is going to be there. So at that sort of a price, I think and Hartman's capacity to produce big numbers, if he can do anything like he did at Wake Forest, he's going to be in the mix. Paul, uh, Notre Dame, eight and a half, the win total for the Irish this year, and Marcus Freeman's second full season. Yeah, you know, I hate to go against Bruce here, but I, I'm not quite as bullish on Notre Dame as uh, Bruce is. You know, obviously last year in his first full season, uh, after coaching the bowl in 2021, Marcus Freeman wins uh, eight regular season games and then makes it nine by beating South Carolina 45-38 in the, in the bowl game. Certainly, I think the most intriguing portal addition in the offseason was the addition of uh, Sam Hartman, as we've talked about, uh, the former uh, Wake Forest quarterback who changes addresses from Winston-Salem to South Bend. Sam Hartman, you talk about the mesh protection, Wake Forest and Notre Dame, you obviously have a different supporting cast. Notre Dame's offensive line, well, once again, you know, they're routinely, annually one of the best offensive lines most years, many years, in college football Again, they'll be a contender for the Joe Moore Award this year. But Sam Hartman's thrown 26 uh, interceptions the last two years. He has thrown the ball a lot. His interception uh, rate is only slightly higher than the average for college football. But I think he's a little bit just slightly above average, uh, especially for a top-level quarterback as far as taking care of the football. He's thrown for almost 13,000 yards in five collegiate seasons, though, so there's no doubting that he is a talent. 110 touchdown passes on his career. Uh, that's incredible. And 41 interceptions as well on his uh, career. But again, a whole lot of passing attempts. So the interception rate's not that uh, significant. What I'm a little bit concerned about on offense uh, from the perspective of Notre Dame is the fact that, as, as Bruce mentioned, they lose tight end Michael Mayer, a big time tight end, one of the very best in uh, college football. And then they. Uh, Lose also there on defense. They lose their top two uh, defensive ends, which I think Bruce uh, mentioned as well. As far as last year at Notre Dame, their returning receiving core of players that played for the Irish last year, no one returns with more than 25 catches last year. Uh, you know, I wonder about uh, do they have a go-to receiver? A lot of times those guys step up and, and they make their presence felt, but I think they have to, uh, they have to establish that. You know, the pieces are there, certainly to potentially be at least a player, at least have a say in the four-team playoff chase. You talked about the big three games, the home games against Ohio State and USC, uh, the road trip to Clemson. They're going to be getting around seven points against both Ohio State and Clemson. The home game against USC right now would uh, be projected to be uh, pick. I'm not sure they're going to win any of those three games. So it comes down, as far as our regular season, a win total of eight and a half. If you don't think they're going to win any of those three, will they lose a fourth game? Brian Kelly, he rarely lost outright as a betting favorite. Not that he covered every time as a favorite, but he didn't lose outright as a betting favorite. His record is uh, astounding at Notre Dame as far as uh, winning outright as the betting favorite. A small sample size, but Marcus Freeman, he lost twice last year as a favorite of more than two touchdowns uh, to Marshall and Stanford. So I'm concerned that they're probably going to lose at least once uh, as the betting favorite. They might stub their toe again uh, in other places on their schedule, certainly, although right now they're a double-digit home favorite against Pitt. Uh, Pat Narduzzi's pretty pretty crafty, and by then he might have things in line. So uh, 
I'm a little bit concerned about, you know, uh, about their ability to win more than eight games. So I like Notre Dame to go under the total of eight and a half at even money. Yeah, the, and the, the schedule, you know, when they broke off of, you know, and canceled the Michigan and Michigan State Series and, uh, you know, kind of uh, joined forces with the ACC, it was considered sort of a downgrade. But this year, I mean, you, it's hard to find a whole lot of teams in college football that are playing three top ten opponents. So, um, yeah, I think Brian Kelly left with about a 45-game winning streak when he left uh, South Bend to head to Baton Rouge. So, you know, as the betting favorite straight up. So, um, I, I – I definitely can see 25 to 1 and taking a shot at Sam Hartman there. Um, Paul, I don't know if I would just – I would give them one of those three. You know, just say, you know, because they should be should be close games. You know, two seven-point spreads and a pick them. But as you, you make a good point, trips to Raleigh, even trips to Durham and Louisville are not necessarily a given until we, we see that out of Marcus Freeman. So, you know, we will see. And, you know, one thing about Brian Kelly, we know he loves tight ends. So, yes, it was tight end friendly as a recruiting uh, landing spot for a lot of tight ends as well. So the Irish, again. But one thing about Hartman, what he understands with so many young quarterbacks, put air under the ball on downfield throws. He just gives his receivers chances and puts a lot of air Poor man's uh, Russell Wilson, so to speak, but he's uh, he's very smart. But that is that is a unique protection and offensive system, and you have to out scheme people when you're to play a resource uh, level like Wake Forest. And man, they they've done a heck of a job. How that transfers, and Bruce, to your point on the offense coordinator hunt, our buddy Tim Murray uh, from Beeson, who's Notre Dame guy. They struck. I mean, they, they struck out on their main target for OC, and then they just okay, we'll just promote from within. And that's that was considered a bit of a loss, you know, as far as, you know, recruiting the new OC, which, you know, is very important as well. And one thing we know here in Baton Rouge about Brian Kelly, he's very hands on when it comes to his offense. He just talked about his offense coordinator saying, oh, he's getting the hang of what we want, you know, instead of just, oh, he's running the show. So Brian Kelly, you know, that offensive influence and that execution, I thought he made some real average quarterbacks pretty productive. Uh, when he was at uh, Notre Dame. But we will see. One thing about the Irish is, and, and let me ask you from an individual game standpoint, I'm either a fade Notre Dame or pass because they're such a public team that it seems like when you bet them, you better be real selective on getting an honest uh, number. Uh, Bruce, you start with that as far as, you know, individual games and still does Notre Dame uh, garner the public, uh, public attention to public backing. Yes and yes. So I, I generally fade them, uh, and I, I think that's sort that's always sort of built into Notre Dame. There, there's this 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 public. Uh, there's a couple points. It seems like it built in there, but they have overcome that in the past. I'm I'm more concerned about Freeman and and stepping up to the next level and the stuff we've talked about here. The selection of Parker uh, as his offensive coordinator, the fact he lost a couple of those games uh, last year, but I, I watched Notre Dame in, in, in person last year too, when they played the uh, USC and I, I came out kind of impressed. I mean, they, they really could have won that game and a couple of fluky play a fumble, fumbled snap from center and things. I think they've got enough of an upgraded quarterback to make a, a run this year, but I, I agree yeah. with, with you guys. I mean that they do get overvalued consistently. Paul, do you, do you feel uh, that that way generally when you break down Notre Dame games on a week to week basis? Yeah, I mean, I think you pay a little bit of a premium uh, when you bet on Notre Dame. Um, you know, the wise guys are going to come in and uh, they're, they're going to straighten things out a little bit. So I don't think it's a, a huge <laughs> premium, but certainly I think it is uh, is a little bit of a premium. And you mentioned as well, and I meant to, to touch on that, the road games against North Carolina State, uh, Duke, and Louisville, they'll be right at a touchdown favorite, I believe, in all three of those. So there's potential for a slip up there. So that, that was part of my uh, handicap of this regular season win total as well. If they lose one of those, they win one of the, the top ten matchups, is going to be the rest of the schedule. And we'll see uh, what happens uh, to Notre Dame. But, yeah, I think, uh, yes, the jury is still out on Marcus Freeman. I think we all agree uh, on that. All right, uh, Army. What the hell is going on in West Point, Bruce? But anyway, they they're going to a shotgun, a one back set, huh? From the uh, um, and look, they they went six and six last year and losses of three points, three points in one point, uh, half of their losses last year. They do have seventeen star uh, starters back, but who else is making this sort of offensive transformation from the triple option uh, flex bone to the shotgun single back attack? Um, wow! And they um, they have. Three 10-win teams on their, uh, on their schedule this year. Troy, Coastal Carolina, in 
at LSU. The win total at Bet Rivers is 50-50. Army is at six, but my goodness, we're going to be paying attention to see how this looks. Yeah, I mean, you talk about a radical change. We, we mentioned uh, Wake Forest a second ago. We're talking about Sam Hartman. Uh, and I want to go back to last summer when I was at ACC Media Day and talking to Dave Clawson, Wake Forest coach, who had Army on the schedule. And I got a little tutorial on what it's like to go up against Army as it was. And he said a couple interesting things. One, that he liked the fact that his Wake Forest team had a week off after Army last year as opposed to the year before, the week before. That goes against conventional thinking. And he said, no. He said, we were so beaten up and bruised because of the way they play, the way they block. He said, we were never quite the same after playing Army the year before. So I like the fact we're playing Army with a week off after this year. But he also said something very important. He said, the rules changes in college football. He said, it is not, and the blocking changes in particular, the cut blocks and things. He said, it is not going to be as easy for these option teams to function. And Clawson said, he said he thought within a year or so, he said some of these uh, service academies might change some. He said, because the rules, the rules have changed. Now, Navy's done a little bit of it. Uh, our Air Force's offense is sort of more Houston Veer-like, but Army was the one who really ran a triple last year, a flex bone sort, and they have changed it completely. Like you said, Jimmy, shotgun, one back. Let me give you a little bit of Army history here. And the coaches who have succeeded there in the last half century plus have only been the ones who ran a good version of the option. Now, Rich Ellerson didn't quite win uh, before Monken came in, but Monken and Jim Young in particular, and some with Bob Sutton, uh, they, they fared pretty well. Monken's record, and similar record to what Jim Young had when he came in in 84, and he did exactly at Army what Kenny Hatfield had been introduced at Air Force. Uh, Hatfield's the one who laid out this template, what to do in the service academies. Young picked it up, and all of a sudden, Army got much better. But let me give you these some, another note here. Uh, this is back into the 60s, and after uh, Dietzel and Tom Cahill, and Cahill at the end of his career, really went downhill. Uh, those two guys still had winning records at West Point. But since then, Homer Smith was 21 and 33 in the 70s running basic uh, conventional offense. But uh, uh, since then, uh, with Army, uh, through Lou Saban, Ed Cavanaugh, Todd Berry, um, John Mumford, Bobby Ross, and Stan Brock. So you've got six coaches, one interim in there, Mumford. In the last, uh, uh, you know, 45, 50 years. I, and you're right, Lou Saban, big coach there for one year. They're 32 and 114 when they don't run the option. 32 and 114. Uh, they, it hasn't worked. And even Bobby Ross a few years ago, well, this is, you know, 15, 20 years ago, it didn't work there for him. I mean, the only thing that has worked there, the only thing for the last half century has been running the option very well. And this is a radical shift for a program, very selective recruiting anyway, but had been recruiting a completely different style for the last several years. And, and a roster, I mean, guys like uh, Jacoby Buchanan, who was, was hurting in, in, in the spring in, in Riley, these are runners who were out, were option runners and, you know, option fullback Buchanan. Who's going to play quarterback? Daly, Bryson Daly is the one they think is going to play. Thought he's the best passer in the bunch, but this is a radical change. The defense did play pretty good last year. Down the stretch, they allowed less than 13 per game across uh, their last five, so that was better. But the schedule is a little bit tougher this year, like you said. You mentioned a couple of those teams that they play. In general, that is one thing, though. Back in the 70s, 80s, even into the 90s, they, they played more power five. Well, the, the schedules are a little bit tougher for Army then. They've been able to selectively schedule a little bit better in recent years. Although you mentioned some of those teams this year, teams like Troy, Coastal Carolina, and all this is this is a little bit tougher this year. I I don't think the D also only has four starters back from last year. So, uh, Monken, this is a radical change. History says half a century worth of history that this is a tough fit for army if they're changing something that's given them their only chance to work and i know it's a different the rules have changed some now i think they're going to have a heck of a time getting to six wins this is a definite under for me i mean if you got to if you try to get me to predict if this is going to be a good move or a bad move for army bruce i agree with you i think it's a bad decision and, you know, sometimes when you run your program or even game management in-game, sometimes you have to get in the mind of your opponent. 
do, would they rather us do this or this? If you talk to any coach trying to prepare for Army, they'd rather see a conventional spread offense by Army instead of what they've been running. It's much more of a headache because it, they, they don't face it as much. And then you're talking about Army. I see the skill, guys. It's, you run space to try and create athletic you know, uh, speed guys and put them in space. They don't have those. I mean, not long ago, the offensive tackle for the Steelers was playing wide receiver for Army, okay? So, I mean, it, it just doesn't, uh, you know, I, I maybe this is some of their alums. They just are whatever. They want to, you know, see more modernization with their offense. But the kind of self-identification, know what you are, and very, your pool is very limited as far as recruiting. Uh, I'm going to get to Paul first, but, but, but Paul, we'll come back to you, Bruce, but Paul, your thoughts on the Army cadets this year and the win total is at six and the things we're talking about. I'll say, first of all, I've got a real good buddy who played football at Army and actually took me, uh, I was on the sideline for the Army-Navy game uh, this past uh, year before the game, not during the game. But anyway, uh, Army's not switching, to, I don't think, for the alum. They're switching because they got to because of the rule change. You can't cut block more than I think it's one yard beyond the line of scrimmage now. And that's their offense. I mean, that's how they were able to attempt to neutralize their so-called talent disadvantage. And without cut blocking, uh, that, that, that offense is not effective. Uh, you know, Jeff Munkin, he said they're singling out. He felt like the rules committee uh, was singling out the service academies because the service academies are the only schools that run that offense. Uh, of course, the rules committee said, well, all the data, the injury data shows these cut blocks. And he said, well, show me the data. And they, you know, I, yeah, I, if I, that's being a former journalist, I'd like to see specific data, injury, uh, you know, individual injuries, that type of thing. Show me something. And maybe, maybe it's there. I'm not saying it isn't. But uh, they had to they had to switch. And, and my comment on Army will, uh, you know, initially I was kind of leaning under, too, because it is a significant schematic switch there on offense going from that under center triple option you know to a, a more contemporary zone option offense operating out of the shotgun but i looked the last few years at nebraska kearney where drew thatcher their new offensive coordinator formally coached and found some things you know pretty interesting first of all army's not going to be slinging the ball all over the yard Nebraska Kearney, the last two years, averaged 16 passes a game. So he's not going to be throwing it a lot, even though they're going to be in a, in a more wide-open offense, quote-unquote. The quarterback, I'm not saying Army's got a guy like this on their roster because I don't think they do right now. But their quarterback, these past two years at Nebraska Kearney, where Thatcher came from, he rushed for over 2,500 yards the last two years. Last year in 2022, he ran the ball more than twice any other ball carrier. In 2021, he ran the ball almost three times more than any other ball carrier. And I think that's probably a function of his talent and, and the other guys that they had. And, again, I'm not implying that they'll uh, run the ball that much. But this is going to be really interesting. It's just going to be much like from a different angle. It's going to be interesting watching Colorado because they've got so many new players. They've got a charismatic coach and, and Coach Prime and all that. But it's going to be interesting watching Army because of this significant schematic change. But I think it's out of necessity. Gotcha. The one thing, uh, 16 to 20 top tacklers return. So I think they're going to be good on defense. So I passed. That's interesting. I'm, I'm glad you presented the uh, the other perspective, Paul. And that's, I guess that's a million-dollar question. I'm, and I'm sure if they're changing such a long stretch of an offensive approach that it didn't come without some conversations and some debates within the, uh, within the program as well. Uh, uh, Bruce, quickly, you wanted to add something on the Army before we yeah, move on. No, that's all true. And Munkin's a very smart coach, but this is something different for him too. When he came up from Georgia Southern, they were running this stuff uh, – you know, the options. Absolutely. They were a triple option. To, yeah. Yes. So he's been coaching that a long time. And yeah, yeah, the rules, but he was getting a little pressure from the Army people, you know, that, that think that look around college football and say, we just can't really compete. We hit the level we've hit. We want to see if we can do a little bit more. So he did get a little push from people, but it also makes sense with the rule changes that we mentioned to make the change. And uh, Georgia Southern, uh, you know, uh, Helton came in there and certainly, certainly trains things as well. You know, Willie Fritz was just a, one of a long uh, long list of coaches that uh, had that offensive approach. All right, uh, let's move on to UConn now. UConn's uh, win – how about them last year? Six and six, they lost the bowl game. And <laughs> to me, one of the 
best coaching jobs in college football last year. I mean, to get that roster to six and six in his first year. And I kind of even chuckled at UConn when they made the they, they hired Jim Warren Jr. so early, but it gave him a chance and a head start on the transfer portal. And man, we could see even against Utah State where they didn't win, but they were much more competitive and covered easily. Oh, this is an improved roster. Six and six is unbelievable. Four and 32, the 36 games uh, before that. And then I watch them, and, and sometimes in a loss, like they were in their bowl game against Marshall, completely outclassed. Complete, uh, Marshall was so much quicker. I mean, every little inch that UConn was getting was, was hard to get. And that even makes me respect what you got out of that roster even that much more. Their win total is four and a half this year, so that's a big jump up from last year. It shaded to the over at minus 143. Both uh, Bruce uh, and Paul, you guys still think that UConn, it wasn't total fluke last year. Bruce, you like the over four and a half. I, I do, and I think uh, everything you said about Mora is true, and it stunned me last year how bad they were. I, I thought there were two coaching jobs uh, in the independent ranks last year, UConn and New Mexico State, what Jerry Kill did there. That, yes. was a, that was a hopeless situation. Now New Mexico State's into a league this year in CUSA. UConn, by the way, is coming up in some of these conversations. They still want to play football there. You remember they, they left the American to go independent in football and back to the Big East in basketball. But, I mean, there have been talks about them because they got football, and there are only – a couple of programs in the Northeast that are FBS programs, and this is one of them. And we'll talk about another in a minute, UMass, and of course, BC. So there's sort of a regional there thing that they still might have some appeal to a league. So keep an eye on that, even though they have basketball-wise come back up the ladder there and they're winning in the Big East. Uh, maybe they could do something where their football goes in another league in the basketball. I don't know. Basketball is still the main thing there, whatever. But it's interesting the way the perception in the last year, all of a sudden they're talking about UConn again coming back into a league. Moore did a great job last year, but what he did, he was only favored three times last year, but they, they won. They were 3-0 and as chalk last year. He beat the teams he was supposed to beat last year. And, yeah, they took some beatings there. They were outclassed by Marshall, and we saw some of the regular season games, the Michigan game and the you know the uh, Syracuse game. I mean, they, they were really outclassed in some of those games. But the teams, there's enough teams on their schedule. There's enough soft spots in the schedule. I think they might be able to get back to 500 this year. A couple of notes. I mean, their quarter uh, Robinson, their quarterback, got hurt very early last year. They had to go to Zion Wilson, and then freshman came in. So they've got both those guys back at quarterback. Robinson is supposed to probably be the guy to go with this year, but they've got some experience there. Um, uh, Nathan Carter, good running back, uh, uh, transferred to Michigan State. He was really good, so they do have to replace him. They did pick up a transfer from Louisville, uh, Jalen Mitchell. A lot of portal ads in the receiving core, and I think a, a more approved he could live in the portal uh, pretty well last year. The offense still wasn't all that dynamic, but they were at least functional last year, and they could run the ball some, and that gave them a head up. Um, all four guys are back on the defensive front. The defensive end, Watson Yates, combined for 11 sacks last year, uh, almost 20 tackles for loss. The schedule is interesting because most of the games this year, uh, early in the season, are at home, and then they're out on the road uh, late. But, you know, you know, Tennessee could be kind of ugly. But I think there are at least five wins in there and maybe six. There's enough soft spots in there where they might be able to rise up. They did beat Boston College last year. Um, and more of that proved what uh, coaching uh, could do. Um, they were also – see, teams like this, it might not be UConn this year, but they went on a really nice point spread run. Jimmy, we talked about it on our Friday shows and during the podcast last season. They had a seven-game spread win streak last year. Yeah. And sometimes these teams that are flying under the radar like that Nobody's watching, and they improve when we're not watching, and, and there they go, uh, covering all those games. Uh, I'm an over with UConn this year. Maybe he gets them back to a bowl, but uh, Mora has done a really rehabilitating himself. By the way, he did well early at UCLA, too. Then it sort of faded out late, but um, right now he's still in, in his sweet spot there, and he's got UConn on the rise. Yeah, Paul, they, uh, they, they started one and four, and uh, after they were outscored by a combined 100, outscored, not given up, outscored by 124 combined points against Syracuse, Michigan, and NC State. And you guys know my theory on getting beat up as an inferior opponent, taking that check as a rent-a-win uh, opponent, but they managed to survive that and still go on that streak that Bruce mentioned. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with what you brought up initially. I mean, uh, you guys, UConn and New Mexico State, just tremendous coaching jobs by both those uh, guys last year. One guy to keep in mind, too, as well, uh, certainly uh, Robertson has the uh, advantage of athleticism, but Joe Fagnano comes from Maine, and he's reunited with his former offensive uh, – or with his former head coach at Maine, uh, the second-year offense coordinator, Nick Charlton. So they have a previous relationship – uh, they hadn't named a starter yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a, gets a shot at the job. Uh, and also, statistics can be, uh, you know, sometimes they can be misleading, but you can't actually outgain Marshall uh, in that bowl game by 13 yards. They were negative two in the turnovers, kind of set the tone early, but uh, yeah, they actually outgained them total yardage. You know, last year, uh, six and seven, they win six games in the regular season, lose to Marshall 28 14 in the Myrtle Beach Bowl. Now in his second season, they got a total of 17 returning starters. They're experienced in both interior lines, as you guys said. I think the schedule's slightly easier. So I believe they're a solid choice to win five or more games in 2023. Uh, they return four of their five offensive line starters. Uh, they boast a total of 102 career starts. So that's very uh, um, you know, essential there, I think, uh, to offensive performance. As uh, Bruce mentioned, equally as impressive on the uh, on the defensive front, they've got a defensive end. Eric Watts had seven sacks last year, had nine quarterback hurries. Uh, I think he's a uh, really talented guy up front. And then we talked about the quarterback candidates. They've got three guys who have either started at the FBS or FCS level. Didn't get a whole lot of productivity from that position last year, quarterback. I think they'll be better at that position, regardless of who it is, in 2023. They also returned their top two rushers from last year who combined for more than 1,200 yards. Uh, I see them being favored. You know, when you're doing these regular season win total handicaps, you know, you look at what you project the point spread to be. And I think they're going to be favored in at least five games, possibly six. So I think this is at least a five and seven team in the regular season. Uh, I like UConn as well, over uh, four and a half at minus 143 uh, there at Bet Rivers. All right, our last independent, and neither of you with a strong opinion on the Minutemen of UMass, but my goodness, when you look at that total at two, you got to kind of say, okay, man, can we find – well, I see Merrimack, okay, as one of the opponents, okay, so we need one more just to cover the bet and then maybe one more to win, and there's some winnable games on that schedule. That's right, the Bet Rivers, it's two, shaded to the over at minus 155. Hey, Coach Don Brown in his second stint uh, in uh, in UMass, 1-11 uh, last year, but he does return five, 15 starters, including a starting quarterback, and Brown has had a little bit of a history of a jump up in his second year. Not a strong opinion, Bruce, but, I mean, some thoughts about the Minutemen. Well, I, I, am, I have a soft spot for Brown. Uh, only because you know, you know, growing up, every I was I was uh, younger than every coach in college football. Uh, nowadays, I'm older than almost everyone, except Don Brown. He just turned 69, so he's got some years on me still. Uh, so I am good. I'm I'm I kind of uh, have a soft spot for him there. His second stint at UMass. Now, remember before when he was a head coach, UMass, and this is many years ago, UMass was playing at a lower level, uh, and even before that at Plymouth State. So a lot of his head coaching experience is from long ago playing um, at uh, Division II back in those days, or 1AA. Um, but, I mean, he's a very experienced defensive coordinator, very decorated. He'd been at Michigan for several years, Arizona, all the right. I mean, he is a highly regarded defensive coach. And we saw this last year with the Minutemen. I mean, their defense wasn't all that bad. I mean, the, the, the offense was horrible, put it in bad position. So the scoring defense wasn't great. But that's a lot of uh, the fault of the offense, putting them in bad positions. 54th overall defense last year ranking ninth versus the pass whatever the schedule was whatever the sequence of games and how they went those are still some respectable numbers from a team that um, really couldn't uh, do much uh, last year uh, uh, Jordan Mahoney a really good cornerback might get a call from the NFL they've got eight starters back on defense so this is this is what what Brown does his defense should still be uh, okay it's on offense where they've got all that all the problems. This was arguably the worst offense in the country last year. They averaged uh, less than two touchdowns per game, ranked 130th, a 12.5 per game scoring points. That's not uh, not great. 130th, 128th in total offense. Uh, they do have that transfer from 
Georgia Tech, whose name is uh, pretty tough, Tayson Pumancha from Georgia Tech, but he is a, he's from up in that area there. Uh, he's from a Bridgeport, Connecticut, actually. He will probably get uh, the start at quarterback. So maybe, and he took a few snaps at Georgia Tech last year, so he might be the guy to look at to bump this offense up. But they were so bad last year, and, it, and the speed deficit, I mean, they, they just didn't, they still had an offense that's at a, running at a lower level, even though they've been playing uh, at the top level for several years. I really thought hard about looking over with these guys. And, uh, you know, we talked about, uh, you know, New Mexico State. They get them right off the bat in week zero. So there's a chance. I mean, I know Jerry Hill's done a great job there, but that's not an impossible game for them to win. Right. So I would no. on, only look over with them. Uh, but I'm not. I'm just going to sit back and watch and cheer for Don Brown because he's older than me and I'm soft spot <laughs> for those guys. Paul, <clears throat> Paul you, uh, general thoughts on the Minutemen. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously they have the short end of the stick. There's not a whole lot of tradition there. As Bruce uh, indicated, they played at a lower level for many years. Three and 37 collectively their last four seasons. I've got them power ranked, as many people do, uh, 133 out of 133 teams this year. So Bruce mentioned the offense. Uh, nine of 12 games last year, they scored 13 points or fewer, and that was against a relatively easy schedule. They do have that home game against Merrimack, which is an almost certain victory. And I'll add this about Merrimack. College basketball is still a few months away, but when Merrimack plays, until further notice, play their games under. That's been a nice moneymaker the last couple of years. Uh, but you look at their schedule real quickly here. They're going to be favored potentially at home against New Mexico. So UMass could be favored in another game besides the Merrimack victory, going to be getting less than a touchdown at home likely against Arkansas State. Uh, then they're probably going to be something less than a two-touchdown uh, two underdog against both New Mexico State and Miami of Ohio. Got 15 returning starters, and, and we've talked about how uh, anemic they've been on offense. They were actually almost decent last year on defense. The four previous seasons, 2018 through 2021, they had allowed an average of at least 40 points a game. Last year, they only averaged 31 uh, points a game allowed. So a little bit uh, a little bit better on defense. Uh, you know, I would almost like Bruce, a little bit of a lean to the over, but I, I don't want to get caught uh, with a losing ticket in my pocket uh, betting UMass uh, on a regular season win total. So I'll pass. But uh, be interesting to see if they can make some more incremental improvement there. You guys could pass. I'll take them. <laughs> I think they're beating Mary Mack. Did I play them in college basketball? So, I mean, I mean, just need one more to push, and then I'm playing, you know, got a free swing. So, I mean, that, that too, you know, Oregon State a few years ago, I think it was Jonathan Smith's second year, uh, was about a two-and-a-half, two or two-and-a-half. Last year, Vanderbilt was like a two or two-and-a-half, and this is the low mark this year, and so – Hey, for what it's worth, I'll uh, I'll I'll back them at that unbelievably uh, low number. All right. Uh, so since there's a short list of independents, I'm gonna go back and kind of just give reinforce uh, some of your stronger opinions over the ones. But uh, Bruce, I want to start with the Heisman though. You already mentioned uh, Sam Hartman, Notre Dame quarterback, twenty-five to one. Hey man, they're border. They're expected to be a borderline top ten team. That is set up. Uh, the stage is set up. If he has a great season, and we know um, that you know, if he just puts up his numbers, and he did at Wake Forest with a better supporting cast at Notre Dame, we'll see. But also Michael Penix, the Power Five uh, passing leader last year, the wet kid from Western Kentucky was number one, and then also Marvin Harrison Jr. out of uh, Ohio State, which is tough. For a non-quarterback to win it, but certainly he has some build-up as well. Yeah, Harrison is interesting. I mean, we've seen receivers. Devontae Smith won the Heisman a couple of years ago, and he was a, working the return job, too. So if you're that good, really dynamic, which I think he might be. Uh, I mean, he is impossible to cover one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, he forces defenses to be aware of him all the time. If McCord can come in and do something with C.J. Stroud, a little bit what he did, he's going to make – it a lot easier on the new Ohio State quarterback. He's going to get very a lot of visibility this year. So as a, he's a long shot, though. So I would I would throw him in there as a long shot. But I think Penix. We mentioned Hartman is worth a look, but Penix, you know, I I think he's the best quarterback in the country. I like him more than Caleb Williams or anybody else. I like a guy who's part of his career he had to spend in Indiana, so it wasn't all. You know, uh, it, it wasn't all top class all the way as the team around him, but he learned how to survive in college football and now flourish in 
Kalen DeBoer, you talk about a great quarterback whisperer. He made Jake Hayner a good quarterback. We saw him play with the Saints the other day. He didn't look bad. Um, uh, his ability there to get the most out of Penix and the fact, I think Washington is due for a big year. And like I've said before, that was the best team in the Pac-12 last year. Make no mistake about it. They were. And I think they're going to be again this year. And they're going to get a lot of uh, publicity right from the start. Last year, he kind of came out of uh, nowhere. This year, he's coming in with some hype, and he's worth it. And I think he's really good. So Penix is the guy who I, I think is really worth a look. And, and, and the set that I love, and this is including scrambles, passing plays that were broken down, though. But just under three, and we know he can run. He's only rushed the, uh, he rushed the ball less than three attempts per game. It tells you he's he's an athletic guy, but he's committed to the pocket. He's letting the ball go. the 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 passing game has to be rhythmic, uh, you know, to have some rhythm to it to extend. And that's, I mean, that's he's very comfortable uh, in in DeBoer's system, no question uh, about that. Let's stay in the last year of the Pac-12, uh, Paul, because uh, Oregon, you're looking at them uh, this year. That's a high total at nine and a half. You like the under when we broke down the Pac-12 earlier this year. Yeah, and I, I still like that uh, under nine and a half, one of my favorite regular season win totals on, on the board. I mean, you've got – first of all, you know, you always, again, look at that schedule. They've got road trips to uh, Washington and Utah. Uh, they've got to play USC at home. And I think the wild card here, and we've talked about it on this podcast uh, on probably at least a couple occasions, is that week two road trip to Lubbock to play Texas Tech. Uh, right now they're about a three or three and a half point road favorite against the Red Raiders. I think Joey McGuire uh, and the boys on the South Plains are going to have a little something for the for the Ducks there in week two. I think Texas Tech's going to win that game outright. Uh, Oregon, you know, obviously a talented uh, team. Uh, Bo Nix uh, reunited last season with Kenny Dillingham, uh, offensive coordinator, now the head coach at uh, Arizona State. But Bo Nix had a big year. Tough guy like Bo Nix, but I'm just not sure they have quite enough defense uh, to be a, a championship caliber uh, team. So I like Oregon to win nine games or fewer uh, under the nine and a half on that regular season win total. Bo Nix better bring his uh, big uh, big lunch pail down to Lubbock, Texas, because they are waiting to ambush him uh, in West Texas. That is going to be a tough environment uh, to play in early in the season. Staying in the Pac-12 uh, in the last year and. Nobody wants to talk about Oregon State, Washington State. They don't want them. They don't have enough money. They don't have enough resources. Panache, the whole bit. But you, I mean, Jonathan Smith, Bruce, we've been talking about this. That was my biggest winter. Keep in mind, his very first year, he redshirted the whole signing class. He said, I'm not getting any value. I'm not losing my job in year one. He had an eye for the vision, and he understands, having played there before, that, man, he is maxed out with his resources at his budget at Corvallis. You like their win total at over when we uh, did the Pac-12 earlier this year. Yeah, I mean, when I, we, we did the Pac-12. I mean, it was still like uh, Pac-10 at that point moving forward. Oh, no, Bruce. You were yeah. singing doom and gloom way before oh, anybody. Oh, no, I, no. Know. <laughs> I know. But at, at that point, we thought, okay, SC and UCLA are going to have the targets on their back this year. Well, that's yeah. sort of flipped. Like, the whole league has got a target now. And the four that are, at, for the moment, left behind – really have a little bit of extra motivation. And the, the one team of that four, Cal Stanford, WSU, and Wazoo, and Oregon State, this is the one I think that can do the most about it. So they're going to be at a fever pitch. I mean, you could – the dynamics here, you could end up writing a book about this team someday if they do what I think they can do this year. And it's us, it's us against the world. I mean, Jonathan Smith is great to create a circle the wagons mentality anyway. These guys really have it this year. Last year we saw them at the end of the season – a lot of moxie and character within that program to come back on Oregon like that, the way they did Jonathan Smith out coaching, landing every step of the way in the fourth quarter of that game. They're tough. They can run the football at Damian Martinez. The defense was the best in the PAC 12 last year, a little bit of reloading to do there, but Trent Bray's a coordinator on his way up the ladder. DJ Ugalele. This is the most, I think, interesting portal transfer in the country this year because he came into Clemson with a lot of hype, but man, you talk about being thrown into the fire right away in a program that expected to win a national title and you're coming in after Trevor Lawrence. I mean, that was a lot of pressure for this kid. He's coming in from what we hear a lot more comfortable up there in Corvallis. I think he gives them a significant upgraded quarterback from the guys who were just game managers, Nolan and Gull Branson last year. But he's got to step it up. If he does, this team could challenge Washington, I think, to win the Pac-12. But short of that, 
clearing eight wins, they can do it. We also saw them in the bowl game last year. I know Florida had a lot of opt-outs in that game, but they were motivated, and they took Florida two pieces last year in that game in Las Vegas. So it's an over for me. Watch these guys. Uh, you know, they've got something. They've got a chip on their shoulder this year against almost everybody else in the Pac-12. I think Oregon State's an over. Yeah, you know, the last game at Eugene, you know, they'll definitely be underdogs there. I think, uh, Paul, you had said there were seven-point dogs uh, at Eugene the last game of the season looking ahead. But the other road games are very winnable at Pullman, at Berkeley, at Tucson, and Boulder. I mean, they might be favored in all of those road games now. They And they draw Utah and uh, Washington at home and avoid playing USC at all. So, yeah, the schedule – is manageable to say the least they're going to be favored in all three of their non-conference games san jose state uc davis and san diego state so yeah this is this one that really shapes up and um bruce i had oregon state in that oregon game i won but i did feel feel like i had to go you know light an extra candle in mass or something the next day i mean because it was i felt i had a little good fortune as well you talk about a team implode uh in oregon but still i mean jonathan smith can he get any more out of what he's done with that program there. Uh, Paul, we'll go with another conference in the uh, in transformation to Big 12, and uh, both you you guys have um, identified a team, both like the under. Dave Aranda's Baylor Bears, a little bit of a roller coaster, and, um, and wins uh, the Sugar Bowl, and that was a little bit of an asterisk, though. They held on. They would not have gotten in that Sugar Bowl if they didn't hold Oklahoma State what, two inches from the goal line in the Big 12 championship? And then Matt Corral goes down very early. And that was, I mean, Ole Miss's offense was scoring on everybody that year and did very little in that Sugar Bowl. And then they had the disappointing season last year, somewhere in between. But the win total that set seven, looking back, when we did the Big 12, you liked Baylor under. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously 2021 for the Bears, much better than last year, uh, 2022. They finished six and seven, losing the bowl game by uh, two touchdowns to Air Force. And again, you know, I love Dave Aranda, great football coach. But I look at that quarterback position, Blake Shapin, you know, he can hold serve again against the, uh, you know, the mediocre uh, teams on the uh, on the schedule. But I don't think he can beat the better teams. Uh, so I'm, I'm a little bit, I don't think they're exceptionally strong by high-level uh, Division One Power Five standards at that position. They need to be successful running the ball, in my opinion. They lose four or five starting offensive linemen, so there's some rebuilding to do there. Uh, they just allowed 19 points a game back in that uh, nice year of 2021. Uh, and last year, they give up 27 points a game, so the defense wasn't as good. They lose a little bit in the defensive uh, trenches. They lose uh, – Siaki uh, Ika, who was a third-round pick, so that's a big loss. He got a lot of push uh, up front. One thing I'll say about Baylor's win total that's a little bit of a concern and a, a game that could be, you know, kind of the either-or as far as whether we go over or under here is that week two game against Utah. Clearly, and I think it's legitimate, sometimes there's coach speak, but clearly there's some question whether Cam Rising is going to be ready for the start of the season. Now they lose their ah, second team okay. quarterback. So they could be down to their third-team quarterback early in the year, maybe for multiple games. So that would obviously be a significant advantage uh, to Utah – or to Baylor, rather, against Utah. So uh, keep an eye on that. But in, in any case, I, I just think uh, seven seems a little bit too rich for the Bears. So I'll take uh, Baylor and Dave Aranda to go under that total of seven. Cam Rising, huge. I know he came in late two years ago in that San Diego State game when they were down big. Who was the starter uh, for Utah before he took over in that game and, I mean, you know, turned him into, uh, you know, back-to-back Pac-12 seasons. But in uh, Ica also, when Aranda was at LSU, he runs a 3-4. He needs that big nose tackle, and that's why he brought him over to Baylor because LSU switched to a 4-3 when he left. So he's a very – he has to have that type of uh, nose tackle to really help out his 3-4 uh, scheme. Bruce, you staying in the Big 12 as well, and – you're not so sure that things are just going to be uh, fixed all of a sudden in Brett Venable's uh, second year in Norman. Yeah, I think it was Charlie Brewer, I think, was uh, at That's Brett it, Baylor. yes. Yeah, yes, from, the from Baylor transfer, yeah. Baylor transfer, yeah, yeah up at Utah. Uh, but, yeah, uh, uh, I'm an under with Oklahoma, uh, and we talked about that in our Big 12 preview as they get ready to leave the league. There's another thing. Now, in Oklahoma and Texas cases, now, they're what we thought with SC and UCLA a little bit before, bigger target this year. They are abandoning a lot of their old – they're old rivals here in the league and uh, leaving to the SEC next year. So they were a bigger target. 
but I do not understand for the life of me why Oklahoma is being given this sort of historical benefit of the doubt in this win total here. This team just wasn't that good last year, and I'm not sure that they've made the necessary upgrades that I see, especially questions about Brent Venables as a head coach. We talked about this before. I mean, lots of times these coordinators come in, they can be a very good offensive, defensive coordinator, but the transition to being a head coach, I mean, half these guys at least wash out. There's a different uh, set of uh, skills, macro versus micro, and avail you know ability to delegate. And last year, I mean, this team just wasn't all that good. Now, now maybe, you know, they that things really looked bad that one game against Texas when, when Gabriel was out and they didn't have a quarterback, but they, they, I mean, if Gabriel goes down again, do they have cover behind him as well? But this team, I mean, finished under 500 last year, and everybody's gunning at them in this league. There's going to be some tough spots. I mean, they're going to be an underdog against Texas again. It's The schedule's not going to be that easy. You're still – this is a, almost a Lincoln-Riley-like over and under win total, and here this – you're going to ask them to leap four wins from last year in the, in the regular season for what was this, an average team last year? I don't see it. And uh, everybody's gunning for them in the Big 12, too. So like we said a couple of weeks ago, I'm still very much to the under on the Sooners. Yeah, I'm wondering if it was uh, – well, I think it was both, but I'm just wondering just what was it more? Um, was it just Lincoln Riley's ultra-finesse offense and usually those ultra-finesse high-powered offenses compromise their defenses? Okay, yeah. or is it just their recruiting has fallen off a little bit where we don't see – the level of pros and I, uh, to me, college defense is ninety percent Jimmy's and Joe's, and I mean, you know, so I've seen some 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 guys look like genius, same guys look like geniuses and look like you know, not very good based on their personnel uh, that they've had from year to year, and so I think it's a little bit of a both, but I'm just wondering how much, and we'll have to see if that SEC branding will improve uh, their ability to get to recruit at the top level, which historically you know, the last 50 years they've done, you know? Well, I think you're right. You know, and I do shows in, in uh, Oklahoma City, and, uh, you know, the guys I talked to there, they thought Riley's last year, that team wasn't that good. He said they, their record was probably better than they were. They, they, they said there was a slip his last year there, so maybe they were going down a little bit anyway when, uh, when Venables took over. So, um, but, and also, one other thing. The pressure is going to ratchet up on him. I, I wonder what they're going to do if they have another year like last year. They don't want to go into the SEC on on a, you know on hitting the skids like that. Um, they have moved quick at Oklahoma in the past. They have changed jockeys really quick when they don't think it's the right guy. Pressure could be mounting there. Our college football previews are over. Now we move into week zero next week. And uh, and this is the thing, again, what we do, okay? We're giving out picks. If you just want straight picks, we got that. But also the analysis helps shaping your uh, your handicapping as well. That's what we pride ourselves on more, just pre presenting different angles or information that you might not know. And we kind of uh, comb through the uh, matchups and looking for the highlights and that. And so I'm very proud of that, uh, what we bring to the table as far as that's concerned. So week zero, Paul Stone will be with us every week. Bruce Marshall will be with us every week, uh, giving us uh, their picks of the week. And so week zero, we start next week. Guys, I look forward to it. Great stuff as always for Paul Stone. Follow him at Paul Stone Sports. Bruce Marshall, CBS Sportsline at VegasInsider.com. I'm Jimmy Ott here in the Sports Betters Paradise on the Bet Rivers Network.